another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friends. You've tuned in to the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I'm so glad that you've chosen to tune in. We are wrapping up a series this week called Holding Fast to Our Faith in Troubled Times, and I've really loved this series. It has inspired me and encouraged me, but also challenged me. If you have hung in there through the last few episodes, then I commend you because there have been some challenging messages within what we've discussed as far as the messages to the churches in Revelation 3. But there have also been some really encouraging moments as well. If you are brand new, tuning in for the first time, I encourage you to trace back and look at, listen into those earlier episodes just to get a fuller idea of the entire series. But we've been just talking about this idea of what complacency is in our faith, of how sometimes when we go through hard times, such as, you know, we're facing our personal life or just instability in our nation and world, that sometimes we can lose hold of our faith. As far as we begin to drift, we get very complacent. And we've talked in this series about the idea that God draws us back. He helps us stay on course and really what it looks like to be faithful and what we can do to, to, uh, revitalize our faith. If we have indeed drifted or simply how to guard against it, if we're in a good place at the moment, but we certainly, um, can have moments in the future where our faith is tested, where we are going through trials and we have the temptation to drift. In this particular episode, I want to focus on truthfulness. Can we trust what Jesus says to us? We've talked so much in this series about Jesus warning us or keeping us on the right path. And obviously within Revelation 3, he's giving messages of warning and encouragement to the churches here with the exception of Philadelphia. Philadelphia is just encouragement. He doesn't really rebuke them for anything. He does kind of give them a warning for what to expect in the future, but he does give mainly just encouragement to Philadelphia. But definitely within these messages, um, we see a Jesus who is actively involved. And so the question comes up, can we really trust what Jesus is telling us? Can we rely on what he says when oftentimes it just doesn't feel like the right way to go, what he tells us, or it may confuse us. I was thinking of a story when I was putting this episode together of a few years ago when I went to the urgent care. I had a medical issue that popped up unexpectedly. I was in pain. I went to the urgent care and I had to drive myself down there uh, because my husband, we didn't have anybody to come stay with the kids. It was late at night. I drove myself down. It's about 45 minutes away. The urgent care is 24 hours, but when I got there, they only had one doctor on duty. So it was a really long wait to get into a room to even see a doctor to begin with. And then when I actually got into the room, I felt a little frustrated because I didn't think the doctor really appeared to be doing as much as I thought the doctor should be doing. I had a nurse that was very compassionate that was pretty much in the room with me the entire duration of my stay. I was there for several hours. The doctor was popping in and out 
doing tests, um, consulting with some specialists on the phone. She didn't know exactly what I was dealing with. And she seemed very reserved and really wasn't telling me a whole lot. The nurse, on the other hand, was pumping me, you know, full of painkillers, was asking the doctor if she could try this particular remedy and seemed to be doing quite a bit. Now, the remedies she gave me did not do anything to really help, but it just seemed like she was really trying to help. And I really appreciated that she was so concerned about me and seemed to be doing something. The doctor, on the other hand, I felt like just seemed a little bit distant, a little bit aloof, maybe like a little bit, you know, like maybe she didn't care that much. Finally, after spending the night in urgent care, the doctor came in in the morning and told me that she was going to discharge me and give me pain medication. She thought she knew what I was dealing with, but she wasn't sure. And she was going to make an appointment for me to see a specialist within the next few days. And she was going to send me on my way, but she believed the specialist would be able to properly, properly diagnose me. And until I was able to get into that appointment, she was going to give me some painkillers to help the situation. I really felt frustrated at that point because I wanted more of immediate answer. And I thought that maybe there had been talk of sending me to the emergency room, to the hospital. I just thought that I would get more immediate relief. And I did not know when I left, if I was, you know, what, really was going to take place, if the specialist was indeed going to help me, how I was going to manage the pain for the next few days. I was extremely, I was mad and I was, you know, frustrated and I had all these emotions going on. I talked to my husband about it and I decided the very next night to just go ahead and check myself into the emergency room because I felt like I needed more immediate solutions. Well, the emergency room wasn't able to do much for me. Um, they said they could run some tests that they could do that, but they encouraged me just to go on and go see the specialist because they thought that would be a better route for me. And so I went ahead and left the emergency room and then had the appointment the very next day. I didn't have a a very firm confidence when I walked into the specialist. I thought, okay, this is just going to be the same kind of run around. They don't know what's wrong. They don't know how to help me more prescriptions that don't help. But it was a totally different experience. When I actually went to the specialist, he was able to, within a few minutes, immediately assess what was going on, gave me all this literature about it, prescribed me prescriptions that actually would help, and gave me a real solution that actually worked. I didn't end up having to have surgery or anything. It was something that healed within a few weeks and I could go on my way. And what I realized is that after the fact... The nurse that I originally had had in the urgent care that seemed so compassionate, seemed like she was helping me so much, I actually found out when I was diagnosed that the medications she was giving me were actually those that they don't give patients with my condition because it is it is makes the problem even worse. It doesn't cut the pain. It actually makes it worse. And so she seemed like she was doing so much, but actually she was giving me medications that I, she shouldn't have been giving me. And the doctor who was very reserved, who really took her time, who was in and out with tests and was very reluctant to give me a diagnosis before she had all of the facts and had talked to other specialists. She was the one that really pointed me a solution, even though it seemed like 
what she was, you know, doing wasn't going to help me in any way. I say this experience because similar to my experience with urgent care, we might be currently walking through a situation in our lives where we want God to act, but he seems to be slow in responding. Like the doctor that I had, we, we you know, he may be telling us something in a situation that we're not really believing that it's going to be helpful. Maybe we've prayed about a situation and God gives us an answer that seems different than we expected, doesn't necessarily have, in our estimation, anything to do with the problem we're facing. Um, maybe we assumed in a situation that we've been praying, you know, God, please change this other person. And God is telling us to change. And we're saying, wait a minute, God, you're supposed to be, this isn't supposed to be how this is happening. This is supposed to be the other person, not me. Or, you know, maybe we've been praying about a difficult job or position and we're asking for an exit and we're asking for just relief from the daily struggle that we're having. And God's saying, no, I want you to stay there and I want you to stick it out. And we're saying, okay, that's your answer to me. That's your solution. That doesn't seem a solution. Or maybe we have a particular goal in mind and we envisioned the steps to that goal being a certain way and God's, you know, leading us in a direction that seems to be the wrong way. It doesn't even seem to be going towards the goal that we have. When we're in those situations, we can question whether we should trust what God is saying when it's different than what feels right to us or is different than what we think is the right way to go. The church of Laodicea, if you look at them in Revelation 3, 14 through um, 22, they certainly did not expect the diagnosis that Jesus gave them. In fact, Laodicea is interesting in that they didn't even know they had a problem. They believed they were rich. They believed they were in need of nothing because they, they were very capable. They were materially well off. They were very capable and have provided for themselves and they were not relying on God on a day-to-day basis, but they did not believe that they were spiritually destitute because they had accepted Jesus into their lives. But Jesus assesses where they are and he says that they were spiritually poor and blind and in need of gold refined in the fire, white clothes to wear and eye salve so they could see. And that's Revelation 3, 17 18, and 18. Basically what he's telling them is that he assess that they were complacent, that they were self-reliant, that they weren't relying on him, that they were finding their fulfillment in their worldly goods and not looking to him and that they needed from him his counsel. They needed to become spiritually rich rather than just rich in the world. They needed to put on his white clothes that he offered rather than simply relying on their own fleshly deeds that they needed to put on eye salve so they could see from a spiritual perspective. And that was his counsel to them to buy from him. It doesn't tell us in Revelation 3 how the church reacted to Jesus's words, but we can imagine that some probably didn't like the message or had a hard time believing what Jesus said because they didn't believe that they even had a problem. And Jesus steps in and says, yes, you do have a problem and it's a big one. And it must have been quite a shock to them. Um, However, for those who may have been tempted to discount or ignore his message, If we look at what he gives them in Revelation 3, we see that Jesus offers a few little morsels of information. 
that could reassure those in the crowd who wanted to discount his message and they can reassure us if we're in a place of saying, Lord, can I really trust what you are telling me? Revelation 3, 14 and 20 says to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I want to draw two simple points from this. And there is a slight overlap with last week, uh, but I'll be sort of coming from a different angle. So I hope you'll bear with me if you have listened to the previous. I'm going to be coming from a little bit different angle. The first point I want to draw is that we can always trust what Jesus tells us because Jesus is truth. While we may not think of Jesus in this way, Jesus is the ultimate physician and can give us an accurate diagnosis for any problem we face. His diagnosis is always true. What we can see at the beginning um, of the passage I read is that Jesus is identified as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now we could just easily skip past that and get to the meat of the message and say, you know what? I don't even know why that intro is there. And we can just easily skip past it because it's a very short little description, but it tells us so much about Jesus there and his authority to make an assessment of the church. Now that is the description at the beginning of his message to Laodicea. But if we look at all the messages to the churches. There are a total of seven. We've only looked at three in the series, a total of seven. We can see similar descriptions in each one that tell us about Jesus, describe something about him. But if we break down the description here, I want to just look at what it says. First of all, Jesus is identified as the amen. Now this is maybe sort of odd to us because in our particular you know, culture in the English language, amen, as we understand it generally is just the word we put at the end of a prayer, meaning that we agree with the statement, meaning so be it, meaning we want something to come to pass. However, if we look at the word amen in the Bible, it has different meanings. And the word also means certain. It means true. In Isaiah 65, 16, God is identified as the God of truth, or some translations read the God of um, the amen. And by Jesus calling himself the amen here, he could have been identifying with that statement in the Old Testament um, because, you know, he is part of the Trinity. But we can also look at how Jesus is, you know, could also be identified as not only the God of the amen, because he is, he is God, but he is the amen to God's promises. He fulfilled God's promises to mankind of a Messiah. When we look at Jesus, we can see the faithfulness of the God we serve because God comes through on what he says. God promised that he would send a Messiah, that he would send someone to redeem us from our sins. Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, they ate the forbidden fruit. They were banished from the garden. And ever since then, mankind, every single person born, we've been essentially born into a world broken by sin. It is fallen. There are many wonderful things about the world we live in, but it is not, it is not as God originally intended the world to be. He did not intend for suffering, for sickness, for sadness. All of those things came in 
when Adam and Eve sinned and Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they were separated from God, that they did not enjoy the fellowship with him that they did in the garden. But Jesus is the bridge between us and God. When we are born, we are born spiritually dead. We are born separated from God. And Jesus provides a bridge. When we ask Jesus into our lives, he provides that connection once again to the Father that we can enjoy a relationship with God once again. And so here what it's saying is that Jesus being the amen, he is certain, he is true, and he is the amen to God's promises. As theologian Albert Barnes notes, what he affirms is true, what Jesus affirms is true, what he promises or threatens is certain, himself characterized by sincerity and truth. The other part of the description I want to look at is faithful and true witness. More description follows after Jesus identifies himself as the amen. He then calls himself the faithful and true witness. This essentially is just further establishing his reliability. If we really think about it, a good witness is someone who has firsthand experience of the event and testifies truthfully. Jesus is identified here as the faithful and true witness because he knows the Father's will and purposes and communicates that to us. Now, I'm not a theologian, and when I start talking about the Trinity, I often even can, you know, get confused. And I don't know that anyone fully understands the Trinity, but I do know that there are distinct roles in the Trinity, that the Father has a role, Jesus as his Son has a role, and the Holy Spirit has a role. They are all God, but they all have distinct roles, and Jesus acts as a witness telling us what the Father's will is. The Father comes up with the the purposes for us, and Jesus communicates that to us, and he communicates it faithfully. As J. Colross in the Biblical Illustrator Commentary writes, Jesus can be relied on to the last jot and tittle. Jesus faithfully reports to us what he hears and sees and never lies or distorts facts. And then lastly, the other part of the description here is that Jesus identifies himself as the ruler of creation. What we need to know is Jesus isn't a mere created being. He's not like man in that he was created and he's just throwing around an opinion on our actions. Jesus is the origin of all things. All things exist through and for him. We were created by him for his glory. Romans eleven thirty six says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. Colossians 1, 16 says, for in him, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So does Jesus have a little weight behind his words? Absolutely. One commentator I was reading made the point that the Laodiceans, they were worshiping things. They were worshiping things of creation themselves, their own ability, and also what their hands had made, their own wealth. And Jesus is reminding them here to worship the one who made all of the things that they were worshiping. So clearly, as these three titles indicate to us, we can trust Jesus. He is trustworthy. We can trust what he tells us. Jesus always knows what is going on in our lives and gives us a prescription that is reliable and will truly heal the problem in our lives. Now, I'm talking mainly about a spiritual problem that we may be facing, but Jesus is also a physical healer as well. We need doctors in our lives. We need medical professionals, but sometimes they can't always tell us 
what's going on. And Jesus can heal any problem in our life. Now, sometimes he chooses not to heal physical problems. Some of us won't find that healing until we, you know, are in eternity, but certainly Jesus can heal any situation and problem that we face and always knows what the cure should be. Unlike the medications administered to us by doctors or nurses that may have good intentions, but may not always know exactly what's going on with us. Jesus always knows what the problem is and the best remedy. A second point I want to draw from this is that even though Jesus is completely trustworthy, sometimes his prescriptions won't make sense to us. It's important to us to know that because often in our pride, the human heart wants its own way and does not want to rely on the advice and promptings of Jesus. We simply won't always like or understand the way that Jesus points out. And when it doesn't look like the way we understand, the way we want to go, or it looks hard, it looks like a struggle, it it looks like some uh, a direction that we never imagined for ourselves, then our natural impulse is to resist against it. But in Revelation, Jesus says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Essentially, he says, you know, we have to let him in, in order to experience that communion, that relationship, that really we have a choice, um, that Jesus will tell us what's going on, but we really have to, a choice as to what, whether or not we accept what he's saying. And we want to go the way that he is pointing. In second Kings five, Naaman, a commander of an army has leprosy and he's advised by a messenger of the prophet Elisha to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times to be healed. Now, Elisha is hearing from God and gives him the, the prescription he does from God. But when Naaman hears the solution, he's not grateful. He's not relieved. He's angry. He thought Elisha would come out, would pray for him, would wave his hand over him. When he hears that he has to go wash in the Jordan River, he tells the servants that are with him, he even says, why the Jordan? Why not greater rivers than the Jordan? And he doesn't like the solution that he, he, he is given because it's not what he expected or thought. And he really doubts that it's going to work. But the servants that are with him calm him down and they tell him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? In other words, the servants that are with him tell him, that even if the prescription isn't exactly what he wanted or thought, why not just try it and see what happens? And so Naaman relents. He washes himself in the Jordan River and his skin is restored. The prescription isn't what he thought it would be. But when he simply obeys the God through the words of the prophet, he gets the healing that he wanted. I tell this story because it's along a similar vein to that which we've been talking about with this message to Laodicea in Revelation 3. And in this moment, I don't know where you are at this moment, but you may be seeking an answer for God for a problem, or maybe he has already answered you and what he's told you may not be what you expected or what you wanted to hear. And you may wonder, is this really the solution to my problem at the moment you might have hoped for a different answer and you may be questioning right now whether you can truly go down that path. And 
just what the the story of Naaman in hearing um, the words of God through the prophet Elisha and Jesus' address to the church of Laodicea, we can look at those two places in scripture and there's many more and we can look at the truth that God can be trusted. God is trustworthy and because he can be trusted, we can do exactly what he tells us to do. He is more trustworthy than any that we can even comprehend or wrap our minds around. We may know people in our life that have integrity that we may say, wow, that person is really trustworthy, but God is at a level of trustworthiness that is beyond even our comprehension. We must, of course, be wise in our decisions. When I'm telling you to step out and do what God is telling you, I'm not saying that not to be wise. If you believe you're hearing from God, but you're not 100% sure, you know, just stepping out rashly without considering carefully and praying carefully over your decision. I'm not telling you to do that. We should, of course, be wise. And if we aren't 100% sure, then we should really pray and ask God, are you really asking me? And we should pray for confirmation. God is so good about providing confirmation. If we are trying to walk in his way, he will confirm to us if we're we're attempting to follow him. And if we haven't gotten an answer, then of course we can pray for that. But if we believe that we have an answer and we're not sure, we can pray for that confirmation. And in addition, we have to make sure whatever we're doing is always that which lines up with scripture. You know, a lot of times we'll have just a random thought that will come in our head and we'll act on that. And it's not truly from the Lord. So we need to make sure that we are discerning his voice and that what he's telling us to do is truly from him. But if it is, we can just launch out knowing that going his way is the best way and what he says can indeed be trusted. If you're listening to this and you're saying to yourself, wow, I don't even know what this looks like. We're, I'm hearing about the counsel of Jesus. I'm talking I'm hearing about walking with Jesus and I don't even have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're someone who you were maybe attracted to listen to this podcast based on the title because you want to know more about Jesus, I would just encourage you to take the step of inviting Jesus into your life. It is only through Jesus that we can be in right relationship with God. Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. They were evicted from the Garden. We now live in a fallen world with sin because of what they did in the garden and all of us would have done the same in their place. Every single human after that point has been born spiritually dead. They are separated from God because of sin, but it's Jesus is God's plan for mankind to be redeemed once again, to be in relationship with him. So Jesus provides the bridge. He bridges. There's a huge gap between us and God without Jesus. Jesus, when we accept him into our lives, ask him to be our savior, then we um, we come into right relationship with God. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us to dwell inside of us. And we have him within us to tell us what to do. So if you're in a place where you're saying, yeah, I really want that in my life. I just encourage you to ask Jesus into your life right at the moment. If you'd like to know more about salvation, you can visit the blog, beulagirl.com. There is a tab, no God, K-N-O-W. It tells you a little bit more about that. And I would just encourage you if you've taken that step to find a good Bible believing church, a, a church based 
um, that bases what they do on the Bible. The Bible is the word of God that's revealed to us that helps us to know who God is and to give us a guide for life. And so you want to find a church that is rooted in biblical principle and find some people who can mentor you on the journey because salvation is just the start. It's really just the beginning. And if you're somebody who you have been walking with Jesus a long time or maybe just a short time, but you know Jesus, you've invited him into your life. I would just encourage you to ask God in this moment for guidance, um, for decisions you have to make, or if you believe he has spoken to you, just ask for that confirmation of whatever it is that you believe that he is asking you to do and then do whatever it is that he says. Let's go ahead and pray. And before I do, I just want to mention this is the conclusion of this series, but I'll be back with another series. Just stay tuned. I generally have a week to two, three weeks in between series. So just stay tuned for that next one that will come. And if you would like to jump on the blog, there are all sorts of resources in different subjects you can look at in the meantime, or jump back and listen to previous episodes in this one. If you have not done so, let's go ahead and pray Lord for those listening who don't know you. I would pray. I just pray that Lord, they would take that moment to ask you into their lives, that they wouldn't let fear or doubt or anyone in their lives prevent them from doing what they know to be right. They would ask you into their lives. They would take the steps to invite you in and then get to know you and walk with you. And for those of us who have been walking with you already, who have invited you in, Lord, I just pray that you would just give us an openness of heart to hear from you. You would help us discern your voice. And when you indeed tell us to do something, Lord, even if it doesn't feel like we want it to feel, it doesn't point to a path that we really want to go down that are really even lines up with our desires, Lord, that we would step out and do what you ask and allow those feelings and desires to line up with your will along the way, rather than just simply go the way that feels right to us or the way that our natural inclination would go. Lord, you are truth. And sometimes it's hard to hear what you tell us, but I just pray for a willingness to go the way that you would ask of us, knowing that that is always going to be the best way. Thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you guide us, that you sent your son to make it so that we can be in right relationship with you. We love you. Just pray a blessing over everyone listening and just help us to do exactly what it is you say. In Jesus' name, amen. 